0: Father, we pray that uh, your word will speak to us, give us ears to hear, us eyes to see, its hearts open to you, through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. You have probably noticed that um, we in this country particularly are blessed with with an enormity of choices when it comes to light, now I brought along a few examples with me this morning of the, uh, the some of the different choices we have. You've got your good old-fashioned 60 watt light bulb. You have this one that is a three-way light bulb, so if you if 50 watts isn't enough, you can go to a 100. If that's not enough, you can go to 150. You've got uh, more decorative lights. You might put in a chandelier or something. You have spotlights, floodlights. You have the um, more energy-saving kinds of lights that you see now. And we have little lights that uh, show us the way at night when we get up. Fluorescent lights, small one. We have these kind of lights that we put on our trees and around our homes and little white lights that come on strings. We have flashlights. Some of them are big and some of them are small. And they have different, look different kinds of lights that you can see from them. I use this one in the morning when I am out running so that no one runs over me, see me. We have all kinds of of light choices. Look around in here. We have all kinds of light choices in here, spotlights and and. Incandescent lights and fluorescent lights, and on and on we can go. We have all kinds of choices about lights colors of lights, and sizes of lights, and wattages of lights. You go into the store, and there are shelves and shelves of different kinds of lights. And I have a feeling that light is so common to us that we tend to take it for granted. It's always around, it's always available. I think we probably don 't pay that much attention to the vast availability and the and the instant availability of light until the electricity goes out, and we 're stumbling around looking for a flashlight or candles and stubbing our toe and banging our head in the process now, if you 've ever been without light if you 've ever been in in total darkness, something about that experience makes you a little more appreciative about the availability of light. I mentioned at Christmas Eve that, um, you know, that by far the, the darkest place I've ever been is, is, is down in the in the lower recesses of Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. You, you follow these trails and eventually on this tour, you get to this big open room with some benches and you sit down there and when everyone is settled, the guide turns off all the lights. It's, it's a freaky phenomenon because, you know, when when we turn off the lights here, it doesn't take very long. and Your eyes begin to adjust and you can see your hand and you can see some things around you and you make out figures. None of that in the cave. Like they have everyone wiggle their hand in front of their face and do all these crazy things. And you're doing that when they turn the lights back on to embarrass everyone but you can't see anything. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. Your eyes never adjust because you're in complete and total darkness. One of the cruelest forms of of torture is to put someone into a windowless room completely sealed off from any light and just leave them there. It doesn't take very long before people in those circumstances can easily go mad. When you've been without light, when you don't have the constant availability of light, when you can't flip a switch and and have instant light as we are able to do, you view light in a much different way. Light becomes a treasured commodity. It becomes something of great value, something you don't take for granted. It is into a world with less availability of light That the biblical writers seek to express the inexpressible. To communicate to our finite minds what the coming of Christ means for human beings. And the Apostle John says that Christ's coming is like light coming into darkness. Light coming into not just a place of darkness, but a world of darkness. It shouldn't surprise us that John uses this metaphor for Christ because he tells us right up front that Christ, the word, is God. And for centuries, God has been symbolized by light. The candles in the tabernacle and the candles in the temple burn continuously 24 hours a day as a sign of God's constant presence with his people. We light candles in worship to remind us that God is present with us. And so in describing Christ, John tells us that Christ is the true light coming into the world, coming into every person. But it's not just a matter of of the light coming. There is power in the light of Christ. Christ. John tells us that no matter how how desperately the darkness of the evil one and the darkness of sin fights against him, the light wins. Verse 5 can be translated in a couple of different ways, but it seems to me that the Revised Standard Version and the New Living Translation and, and the Jerusalem Bible, among others, seem to fit the context best. They say the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Light shines in darkness and darkness could not overpower it. John wants us to understand that that the light is more powerful than the darkness. The darkness fights against the light, attempts to extinguish the light, but the light wins. It may appear at different times, particularly as Jesus is laid in the tomb. Certainly in our world of hate and violence, in our world in which God's people are persecuted and martyred, it may appear as though the light does not overcome the darkness. But the light cannot be snuffed out, no matter how much the darkness attempts to do so. But the problem is not the light. The light is good and strong and present and victorious. The problem is our response to the light. But despite the light penetrating the darkness, we struggle to see it, to accept it. It's amazing the the struggle that we have with the light. When you realize, as John tells us, that the light came And lived among us. This isn't a light that that we see from afar. This is a light we see up close. John says in verse 14 that he came and, and he lived among us. Or as some have said, he pitched his tent, put down roots, stayed with us. Jesus isn't like some drifter in a Western that shows up for a little while, unannounced, no one knows who he is, and then one day he's gone. Jesus puts down roots, becomes a permanent resident. God, who is holy and pure and perfect, becomes flesh and lives in this world of darkness, this world of of ignorance and rejection. He enters the darkness. He makes himself vulnerable to the darkness, to its pain and want and, and rejection and ignorance. But that's what light does. Light fulfills its purpose most effectively in the darkness. No epiphany. This day we are celebrating today is is one of the great times in the church year to remember and to celebrate God's light coming in Christ. Epiphany celebrates the fact that Christ reveals himself publicly through his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry. Epiphany reminds us that Christ doesn't come and sit quietly on the side doing nothing holding secretive meetings, trying to avoid people. He comes to be the visible God. The word made flesh who lives and moves and heals and teaches and manifests God among us. He reveals the fullness of God's glory that had been hidden. He is right here, light shining. And you can't help but wonder, how do we miss that? The glory of God is shining and yet so many miss him. Some people do not accept the light because they don't know about the light. They reject him out of ignorance. They, they need more information they've never heard. They've never seen the light. And that's why we, we are so consumed with, with spreading the word about Christ. But there are far too many others who see the light, who live in the knowledge and the presence of the light and simply decide to ignore the light, reject the light, to abandon the light, and they remain in darkness by choice. John says that his own people, the ones who should know better, the ones who be given every opportunity to turn toward the light, reject him. Some remain in darkness because they are unaware of the light. But this group remains in the dark because they are unconcerned about the light, unwilling to let the light in. Initially, this is Israel. They are blind, self-absorbed, unconcerned. They make a conscious choice. They want power, not transformation. They have their ideas about how God will come and what God will do. And when he doesn't act the way that they think he should, they reject him. Miracles don't change them. His claim to be Messiah doesn't change them. And they know all about God. But they reject God. They keep God at a distance. They know the stories of Abraham and Jacob. Isaac, the Exodus, Moses, Joshua, David. They've read and heard the words and the warnings of the prophets. They go through all the motions of worship, but they don't believe. They don't see. And maybe, maybe that's you today. You know all about Christ, but you've chosen to push him aside. Yeah, you go through the motions. I mean, you're here, aren't you? You know, you, you see the light of Christ, but you aren't ready or willing To accept him, to trust him. Maybe you struggle to accept Christ because you struggle to believe that his heart really is love. You can't quite believe that that God loves you and that he only wants what is best for you. Maybe you struggle to accept Christ because you find it difficult to believe that he is able to do what he promises to do. The world is filled with evil people intent on doing evil things that we're pretty sure God would be against. And when God doesn't prevent those things from happening, maybe you're wondering if God really can do what he says he can do. Perhaps your struggle to accept Christ is rooted in your struggle to accept his call to holy obedience can't quite believe that his demands are intended to set you free from the power and the guilt of sin that is intent on destroying you. Maybe you've believed that going your own way is the way that's exciting and the way of God is is boring and restrictive. Or perhaps you, perhaps you aren't inclined to reject Christ outright as much as to just keep him at arm's length. You want Christ to shine. You just don't want his light to be too intrusive. I suspect that it is here at this point that most of us may find our struggle. In verse 10, John John uses the Greek word ginosko, and at its simplest, it just means to know. But it's more than just head knowledge. It is knowledge through intimacy. I mean, it's the word that the biblical writers use to describe the experience of sexual intimacy. And we want Christ's light, but we don't want it to be too intrusive. We want a relationship with Christ, but not too intimate. We don't want him exposing what's really inside of us. We want to go our own way in our own time do our own thing, live our own lives. And too often we simply go through the motions with God because we want to be in control. We don't want God to get too close for fear that he might speak to us about those things we want to cling to. We don't want God to be too pushy for fear that he might want to control us because we like being in charge. There was a captain one night out with his ship and in the in the dark night saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately he told his, his signalman to send a message Alter your course ten degrees south. Message came right back alter your course ten degrees north. Well, it kind of took this captain back, and so he had the signalman send a second message. He said, Alter your course ten degrees south. I'm the captain. And the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm the seaman third class Jones. And well, I was really upset. He said, well, I'm going to show him. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. And the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. You know, Maybe that's us. We're standing on the bridge of the ship saying, Lord, could you move just a little bit that way? And all the while he's saying, No, 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 that's not the way it works. We like to be in control. But the light of Christ isn't about his presence when we feel like it, it's all the time. And we need to be reminded that that only in Christ's light will we ever experience true life. Now, there is something, the connectedness between light and life. Uh, light seems to be alive. We often speak of it that way. It, it shines, it dances, it glows, it flickers. And in many ways, light is a source of life for us. There are many, many things in this world That simply cannot grow or continue to exist without light. And John says in verse 12. That those who receive him. Those who believe in his name. The people who trust him. Who who desire intimacy with him. Who surrender to him. People who would rather live in his light. And in their own darkness, people would rather relinquish control of their life rather than hang on to it. These people, John says, are people who have life. Because they're children of God. Because they're connected to the source of life. And they're children of God, not because they are born into a certain family, not because they are a member of a particular race or because they're citizens of a particular country. Or because of any other human reasons that we use to categorize ourselves. But because they have simply opened their hearts to Christ, the light of the world. And in this openness to Christ, they have discovered abundant life. Isn't that what Charles Wesley is describing in his Christmas hymn, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. The coming of the light is the coming of life. He is what life is all about. He is what the world has been seeking. He is our connection to the source of light and of life. And yet so often we miss him. So often we, we cut ourselves off from his light and his life because we're more about us than about him. I suspect that most of us here today are probably not in danger of attempting to extinguish Christ's light as the enemies of the church are attempting to do. Nor do I suspect that that we are a group of people who are saying, I don't want to have any kind of intimacy with Christ at all. I don't want Christ to get close to me. But I do suspect that our greatest danger and our greatest struggle is perhaps to see the light of Christ as though we can control it as we do a light switch. We tend to think of the light of Christ in our lives as something we can turn on and off when we want to. And when we feel that we want Christ close, then we turn on the switch. But in those moments when we want to grab control, in those moments when we want to go our own way and do our own thing, and we, won't, we don't want the light of Christ shining in us, we flip the switch off. And we think that we can exist that way. But the truth is, every time we flip the switch off, we're cutting ourselves off from not just the source of light, but the source of life. It's not about the light when it's convenient. It's about the light of Christ in us all the time. Christ, the light, has come. Now, what are we doing about it? Gracious Father, we give you thanks today for the gift of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We pray today that you will help us to to put down the switch and to live with openness to you. Father, as we come to the table this morning, we are reminded of the light of Christ shining in this world and in us. In these elements, we see the light of Christ in His broken body and His shed blood for us. And we remember that Christ has come and died and risen again so that we might live. Father, we pray that you would pour out your abundant blessing upon the bread and the cup. May your Holy Spirit fill these human elements that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we may sense the power of your Spirit. And the power and the light of Christ surging into us and making us new. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.